Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Philosophers and scientists, my dear erudite friend and colleague at the Graduate School of Law, Professor Clarita Carlos, posted something about scientists envying philosophers who did not have to prove their positions with empirical evidence. She has raised an important point. I commented by agreeing with her, and by pointing out that it really was not the task of philosophers to adduce facts, that's the province of science. Of course, when scientists and philosophers did not distinguish their concerns, Thales and the whole lot of the pre-Socratics, down to the time, perhaps of Aristotle, both were both. However, it is generally understood today that what a philosopher does is pay heed to the facts scientists make available, and then describe them. Take the human phenomenon. Scientists will tell us how the species evolved, what its physiology is, the workings of its psyche and provide us with empirical data. Taking all these facts together, the philosopher will endeavor to answer the question, what is it to be human? Which, quite clearly, is another way of asking the question, how do you use the term human? So, even when Thomas Aquinas argued that we are possessed of rational souls, he was not announcing an empirical datum. He was explaining what he observed to be and called subsistent activity, an activity that was not directly dependent on any bodily organ. Of course, you need the brain to think, that is the physiological condition of thought, but brains by themselves don't think, which is why brains disconnected from bodies don't think, as far as we can tell, and, lamentably, some brains connected to their bodies don't think at all. But another point has to be made, philosophers must care about facts, otherwise, they talk about thin air. This is the reason that the phenomenological method has been appropriated by different philosophers because it starts with phenomena, what are present in consciousness. So, to make a philosophical decision about the fetus being a human person, one has to pay attention to facts like whether the fetus has a genetic code distinct from that of his parents, whether it really has life which, though not physically separate, is nevertheless distinguishable from that of its mother, etc. So, facts do matter to philosophers, although we, in the business of philosophy, should not pretend that we can generate data by methods peculiar to philosophy and not available to science. And this is also the reason that analytic philosophy has been the mainstay of philosophy in the UK and in a large part of America, because it takes off from logic and confines itself to a logical analysis of our terms and propositions. It holds us accountable for our use of language, which is what philosophers need since they tend to be extravagant with frightening terms. It is that way of doing philosophy that has led to the important realization that many propositions that are made to pass off as sublime are, in fact, nonsensical, and Wittgenstein is immortal in this respect. One more thing about the relation between philosophy and science, philosophers are increasingly interested in the methods of science. For some time, it was thought that the objectivity of science was what alone could yield genuine knowledge, but the philosophical study of human understanding and hermeneutics has led us to the salutary understanding that the scientific bias is as much a bias as any other, and that the wish for bias-free knowledge is wishful thinking. Philosophy has asked, for example, about the validity of the inductive method so common to science, observation 1, observation 2, observation 3, observation 4, observation and dash greater than generalization. For a long time, 
the inductive method was suspect because the generalization seemed to exceed any evidence that the singular instances could provide until mature theories of knowledge realized that the induction should not be subject to the standards of deduction and that induction is another way by which human intelligence is exercised, as is reasoning from regularities, habits of expectations and analogy. Truly, this study in contrasts and complementarity, science and philosophy, is interesting. Rani underscore Aquino at sanbeta.edu.ph Rani underscore Aquino at csu.edu.ph Rani underscore Aquino at outlook.com